Jesus sees the beauty in every person. He sees our diversity as a gift and not as a way to divide us. A reading from Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here ends the third reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two years ago this month, I retired after serving for 33 years as pastor of Village Baptist Church in Bowie, Maryland. On the Sunday after I retired, for the first time in 33 years, Linda and I had to figure out where we were going to go to church. Well, we chose to come here to the First Baptist Church of the city of Washington, D.C. We came here to worship primarily because our good friend, Dr. James Langley, was a member here. And on that first Sunday after I retired, we sat right back there next to Dr. Langley, and we continued to sit with Dr. Langley in worship for many Sundays after that. But it wasn't just Dr. Langley that had us coming to First Baptist Church of the city of Washington, D.C. Many factors influenced our continuing to come. We love the music ministry here at the church, especially the choir and the other musicians. Pastor Julie is a jewel. Not only is she an excellent preacher, she is an even better pastor. She really cares about people. Pastor Elisa is a ray of sunshine. Linda and I first met Elisa when she was a teenager. She came with her parents and her brother to visit our church in Bowie when her parents were CBF field personnel in India. They stayed with a family in our church. When Elisa's father, Eddie, learned that I was a fan of the Washington football team, he let it be known that he was a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. And the next time that the Cowboys beat the Redskins, Eddie called me from India <laughs> to rub it in. 
we still love Elisa <laughs> in spite of that Cowboys thing. Well, Linda and I have come to appreciate everyone else on the First Baptist Church staff as well. And so we started coming the Sunday after I retired, and we kept coming. We sat back there with Dr. Langley until his passing in the summer of 2018. The day after Dr. Langley's memorial service, Linda and I walked the aisle. We came forward during the last hymn. We requested membership in this church in part in tribute to Dr. Langley. From the very first Sunday we came for worship, we were welcomed with open arms, not just by, by Dr. Langley, but by many of you. We're so grateful for Pastor Julie, Pastor Elisa, and all our friends here at First DC. This is a wonderful church family, and we are blessed to be a part of it. We still live in Bowie, way out yonder. It's about a 45-minute drive every Sunday morning. But we make that drive because this is our church home. Okay, now the sermon. I was born in 1951. Go ahead, do the math. To some of you, that makes me an old geezer. To others of you, that makes me your contemporary. To a few of you, that makes me a young whippersnapper. Well, maybe not so young. The point is, I am old enough to remember Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I never met him. I never heard him in person, but I remember him. He was a major figure of my youth. I remember the significant events of his life because they were significant for our time. When I was growing up in the 1950s and the 1960s, our society was even more racially divided than it is now. I never had an African-American classmate until I was a junior in high school. I had Latino classmates and Asian-American classmates and Jewish classmates, but no African-American classmates. There were no African-Americans in my Boy Scout troop. There were no African-Americans on my Little League baseball team. There were no African-Americans in the youth group at church. There were no African-Americans in my neighborhood. Our society was far more segregated than it is today. I can remember two water fountains in the grocery store. One of them labeled white, the other labeled colored. I don't remember many people of color shopping in that grocery store, but there was a water fountain for them in case they did. One day when no one was looking, I took a drink out of the colored water fountain. The only African-American I knew personally when I was growing up 
was the lady who cleaned our house one day a week and cleaned my grandmother's house another day a week. She was the only African-American invited to my sister's wedding in 1966. Now, in high school, I started working part-time at Snow White Laundry, and it was only after I started at Snow White Laundry that I began to meet and get to know other African-Americans on a personal level. I remember a man named Freddie who swept the floors of the laundry, and a lady named Theodorus who ironed shirts. But I really didn't have any African-American friends until I went away to college. That's the way our society was in the 1950s and the 1960s and even into the 70s. It was racially divided. I remember hearing about the March on Washington in 1963 and the I Have a Dream speech. I certainly remember when Dr. King was assassinated and the riots that followed. I remember talking about that with uh, Freddie, who worked at the laundry, sweeping the floors and keeping the place clean. Uh, he was as perplexed about the rioting as I was. Of course, there was anger after Dr. King was killed. Well, what good did the rioting do? We both wondered. I admit I was reacting as someone who had enjoyed white privilege my entire life, and yet I did not realize that I was privileged. I did not understand what it was like to be discriminated against. I began to understand a little bit after my freshman year in college a friend and I traveled to Washington State to do summer mission work at a small Baptist church in Cheney, Washington, near Spokane. There was an interracial couple in the church who invited us to dinner in their home. The husband was black, the wife was white. The husband was originally from Mississippi. The couple was living in Cheney, Washington because he was on the faculty of East Washington State University. They told us what would happen when they would travel back to Mississippi to visit his family. They said they had to, they had to be very careful and keep a low profile. This was in 1970, and interracial couples were not welcome in many places in the South. The summer after my sophomore year in college, I went to Memphis, Tennessee to do mission work in a church in a, in a transitional neighborhood. The church was trying to reach the kids in the community, but it was difficult back then. The integrated church youth groups were not common. The summer after my junior year in college, I was youth minister at a church in Waco, Texas. There were African-American kids living in the community, but again, it was difficult to attract those kids to a church that was predominantly white. The summer after I graduated from college, I remained in Waco as the youth minister, and my roommate that summer was an African-American friend I had met 
at the church. We shared an apartment together. I never told my parents that I had a black roommate because I wasn't sure how they would have reacted in 1973. After college, I went to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. One summer, I did youth work in an inner-city Baptist church in Louisville. I coached a baseball team of kids from the neighborhood, and our team played other teams in the local Baptist association. Ours was the only team with all black players and a white coach. There were a few African-American students at the seminary, but not many. I did become friends with several students from Africa. It was only after I moved to Maryland in 1977 to serve a church in Silver Spring that I was part of a church that was significantly integrated. Now, I share this personal history with you because, like many of you, I have lived through some major changes in race relations in our country. We've come a long way, but we have a long way yet to go. The sin of racism is still a blight upon our culture. Racial inequality is still pervasive in many areas. Did you see the article on the front page of the Washington Post yesterday about the pessimism among many black Americans, about the continuing inequality in terms of employment opportunities, economic uh, advancement opportunities, the way that many black Americans are treated by law enforcement, there's still pervasive inequality in our society even today, even though we've come a long way. The election of a black president did not automatically change race relations for the better. In some respects, it seems like racial divisions have even gotten worse. Well, that's why what we are doing in this church is so important. We are creating a new paradigm of race relations based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back in 1985, when I first went to Village as pastor, the South Bowie community was primarily white, and the church was predominantly white. We do, did have two African-American members who were married to white spouses and their biracial children. But over the years, as the community changed, the congregation became more diverse. And by the time I retired after 33 years, the congregation on Sunday morning was basically 50-50, black and white, with some people from Hispanic and Asian ancestries as well. That change, that diversity, was the, a credit to the people of the church, 
and to the pastors who came before me. My predecessor at Village, Pastor Dan Ivins, grew up in segregated Tennessee. And Dan says he remembers seeing signs in shop windows which read, we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. Well, Dan turned that around and created the motto, we reserve the right to accept everyone. And that became the motto of the church. I think that slogan applies to the First Baptist Church of Washington, D.C. We reserve the right to accept everyone. I think the Apostle Paul would have agreed with that slogan. We reserve the right to accept everyone. Paul wrote in his letter to the Galatians, there's no longer Jew or Greek, there's no longer slave or free, there's no longer male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. I think Dr. King would be pleased to see churches that reserve the right to accept everyone. That's what Jesus did. Jesus accepted all kinds of people. Jesus accepted people that the religious authorities of his day would not accept. Jesus came for all people. And Jesus died for all people. Jesus came to show us, every one of us, how much God loves us. And Jesus came to show us that God wants us to love each other too. So happy birthday to Dr. King, our Baptist brother. We are trying to continue what he gave his life for. To see people, not by the color of their skin, but to see people, all people, as precious in God's sight. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Can anybody say amen? Our Father, we confess that we still live in a time of racial divide. We still live in a time when we look at each other by the color of our skin or by other outward appearances and we make judgments. We still live in a time when we fail to enact that unity that you call us to. And so our prayer, O oh God, is simply this. Make us one in Christ Jesus. Amen.